The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to the book of Philippians chapter 4. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes today about putting the giving back in thanksgiving. You know, over the last uh, few days, I begin to reflect on all the things that God has done for me, His mercy, His grace, His blessings that flow into my life on a daily basis. You know, He gifted me with a great woman to be my wife who is loving and forgiving. You don't live with me, so you don't understand how important that is. Amen. She is so generous and gracious to me, and I love her and appreciate her. You know, I told you last week about that new smartphone that just has me befuddled, right? So uh, uh, last Sunday, and I didn't tell you any of this, I uh, am a cheap Charlie, so I decided I needed to trim the hair over my ears and made a major boo-boo. So I called my uh, hairdresser, Melissa, and I said, uh, hey, actually, I texted her. I need you to help me out and kind of fix this mess. She says, no problem. We'll carve a turkey in your hair. That, That wasn't what I wanted, you know. I wanted it to be not noticeable, not so conspicuous. So with my new smartphone, I tried to send her a text back, and instead of saying what I wanted to say, the phone said, you're a turkey. (laughs) Yeah. And so I am so thankful that she showed me grace and mercy and didn't get offended when I called her a turkey. Now, some of you deserve that, but she doesn't. I'm thankful for grace and mercy today. I'm thankful that God shows us forgiveness when we don't deserve it. I am so thankful that He has provided a way for you and I to know Him, to live for Him, to be able to walk in relationship with Him each and every day. What I want you to know as we conclude this series on Thanksgiving is this simple fact. Every blessing from God flows from Thanksgiving. When we choose to honor Him, to magnify Him, to appreciate all that He's done in our lives, it literally opens the door for the blessing of God to flow into our lives. Someone said, well, there's a problem in the church today. Too many people think it's greener on the other side of the fence. And they said, well, what you need to do is water where you're standing, and that will be greener too. You want to know how to water where you're at? You want to know how to change your circumstances? Begin giving God praise. Begin giving God glory. Begin developing an attitude in your heart that says, thank you, Father, for all that you have done for me. Stop griping, grumbling, complaining, and begin giving praise. God. Allow Him to show you how great and mighty He is, because that's what happens when you develop that attitude of thanksgiving. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul writing these words, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, if you never heard any other scriptures in the Word, that should be enough to let you know your God loves you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. He already has a plan in your life, and nothing you encounter is too great for Him. All you have to do is bring your request before Him with prayer and thanksgiving, and the peace of God is going to keep your hearts and minds. That should be good news to you and I today. We drop on down to verse 11, and this is what he says, Not that I speak in regard to need. Now understand, in this passage, Paul is thanking the church at Philippi for their faithful giving to him. 
for being, being consistent and providing and meeting his needs. And he says, not that I speak in respect to need, for I have learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, there's a lesson right there. We need to understand that an attitude of giving thanks to God is not a natural behavior. It's not normal for you and I to have that attitude of thanksgiving. Matter of fact, it's an absolutely learned behavior. Anyone here ever raised children? If you raise kids, raise your hand and hold them up, hold them up, hold them up. How many times did you have to say to those little knotheads, you better say thank you if you want to keep that gift? Were mine the only ones like that? You had to teach them to be grateful. Because if you didn't teach them to be grateful, they begin to take for granted everything that you gave to them. So gratefulness and an attitude of giving thanks to God is a learned behavior. And we have to start it at an early age in our children. Maybe you didn't learn that as a child. Well, it's not too late. You can learn today. You need to make your list of things I'm thankful for and begin giving Him praise and honor and glory. Thank you that I woke up this morning. So many said, oh my goodness, it's raining outside. I'm going to turn over and go back to sleep. I'm thankful you got out of bed today and came to church. Thankful for everything he's done in you and for you. Thankfulness, gratefulness is a learned behavior. When I give my kids something they didn't expect, they learn very on. If I don't say thank you, then I'm going to lose what I just received. Because dad believes that any time we're given something, we need to express gratitude. Have you ever received a gift of forgiveness? the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life? Have you received the gift of healing? Have you received the gift of God's presence? Oh, come on, somebody help me this morning. Maybe you're all dead and asleep, I don't know. Maybe you should have rolled over and went back to bed. Wake up and help me. Have you received anything from God today? Then it's time to give him thanks, isn't it? It's time to give him praise and honor and glory to recognize it's a gift from his hand to you and I. Paul said, I have learned, whatever state I am, to be content. You see, when we become thankful, we become content. We begin to recognize that my situation today is not going to be my situation tomorrow. And regardless of what I'm facing, I've got a God that's overall and in all. Oh yeah, He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And when I put it in His hand with thanksgiving, He brings contentment and gets me through the struggle. Amen. We need to understand contentment is a great gift from God, and we should thank Him for helping us to learn to be content. He goes on to say, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I love that. See, because it tells us life is a cycle. Life is a cycle. Sometimes you're going to have more than enough, and sometimes you're not going to have enough. Sometimes you're going to be happy and delirious and joyful, and sometimes you're going to be depressed and discouraged. Sometimes it seems like everybody is fighting for you. They're all on your side. You're not in this alone, and other times it feels like you're the only man left on an island in the middle of the ocean, and nobody even knows your name. But I've got news for you. Paul said, I've learned... It doesn't matter what state I'm in, whether I've got a lot or where I have nothing, whether I'm absolutely surrounded by friends and family, or whether I'm all by myself, 
Whether I'm singing a song of rejoicing or whether I'm moaning the blues, it doesn't matter. I've learned to be content. Why? Because I express my gratitude to the God Almighty who makes everything work for my good. Interesting, this same guy, the Apostle Paul, he wrote it this way in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. But he who hath began a good work in you shall perform it to the coming of Jesus Christ. Oh, you need to know it today. If you will learn to be grateful, you will see his hand working even in the most dire circumstances of your life. And you can stand and declare what he started, he's going to finish in me. He doesn't do things halfway. You can declare, I may be broken today, but I got news for you. Colossians chapter 1 says, he takes everything that is broken, people and animals, atoms and animals, and puts them back together so they flow in glorious harmonies. I may be busted today, I may be broken today, I may be discouraged today, but I've got a God who if I'll put my faith in him, if I'll give my praise to him, he changes my circumstance. And brings me to the place where I can see his hand working in me again. I have learned, he said, both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and suffer need. Now everybody in the room who's been to church more than five times has heard Philippians 4.13. And you've probably heard it taken out of context a hundred million times. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can leap tall buildings in a single bound. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can write a check for a million dollars and believe God's going to put the money in my account. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can step into a discipline of study that I don't have the intellect to accomplish and believe that somehow God's going to... Let me tell you a story, all right? When I was in Bible school, this is 150 years ago. I know that. You know that. But when I was in Bible school, I knew I was going to be an evangelist. That means we traveled from church to church, preached revivals. And every evangelist I knew sang when he preached. He played the piano when he preached. So I said, God, I need that gift. So I enrolled in piano lessons. I took piano lessons for three years of Bible school, and they just kept taking my money. Something wrong in that picture. Somebody should have had the guts to tell me that's not your gift. But they just kept taking my money and let me go in there and I could ping a few songs and it was absolutely torture. It was horrendous. I hated it, but I had to do it because that's what evangelists did. Until the third semester of that, uh, the last semester of that third year, there's a guy by the name of Dave Weston that was my piano teacher that year. I'd never had him before. After two weeks, he said, Steve, I don't want to discourage you, but you need to find something else to do. You see, I thought if I applied the effort and the discipline, if I paid the money for a good teacher, somehow it would just happen in my life because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a fallacy. It didn't work. I'm here to tell you, you don't want to hear me play the piano and you sure don't want to hear me sing. Just be glad I didn't spend money on singing lessons. Boy, that would have been horrible, wouldn't it? I've got a plan, though. Thanks to Jessica, I've got a plan. We're going to use that auto-tune stuff, and I'm going to sound like Pavarotti. How about that, amen? You see, we need to understand, in the context of the Scripture, Paul was saying that whatever I encounter in my life, I can handle. No matter how good or how bad, I can deal with it. 
Not only can I deal with it, but because Christ is in me and he's taught me the secrets of contentment and the secrets of giving him praise, I'm going to rise above it and overcome it regardless of what I'm facing. So when you get a bad diagnosis, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to walk through it and see him bring me to victory. When you lose your job, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to walk through it and he'll bring me to victory. It doesn't matter what's against you. If Christ is for you, that is enough. You got to get this in your mind this morning. Get it in your spirits. When we understand the power that comes through giving praise to God, it revolutionizes our life. It changes us from the inside out. We then begin to understand everybody around me may be singing the hee-haw song, gloom, despair, and agony on me, but I'm not going down that road. I'm singing, I'm a child of the King. I'm singing, I've been born by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm singing, I've got destiny, hope, and a future. I'm singing, my God has not forgotten me. He's not given up on me. He's not turning his back on me. My hand is in his, and his eye is on the sparrow, so I know it's on me. Oh, come on, somebody, get it into your spirits. We come with an attitude of thanksgiving before the throne. So very quickly, there's three things I'm very thankful for. I'm thankful for grace. Yvonne said it so well. If you're looking for a perfect place, you may as well move on. Because there's not a person in this room, in spite of what some of them might try to tell you, not a person in this room that's perfect. But I'm here to tell you, you're going to find a host of people who understand it's the grace of God. And by the grace of God, I am who I am today. And it's every day I pray for a new download of grace so that I can stand and be successful in the kingdom of the Lord. Daniel said it this way in Daniel chapter 9 verse 21 when he's talking about what he's asking God to do. He said, God, would you act according to who you are, not according to who we are? Oh, I like that. That's grace, friend. That's God acting according to who he is, not according to who I am. That's grace. James said it this way in James chapter 4, verse 6. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I just want you to see that first phrase. He gives more grace. Listen, some of you are going to be standing out that, in that line here in a little while, and you're going to say, give me some more mashed potatoes. Give me some more green beans. Give me another slice of that cake. Oh, can I tell you, I need to change your request, and it needs to be give me some more grace. I need a double helping. I need a fresh portion. I need more than I can contain. Come on, let grace flow through my life so that it changes me and those around me. Give me some more grace. It's a great diet plan too, by the way. Give me some more grace. Hebrews 4.16, the writer, and I believe it was Paul, said it this way. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What do you need when you're up against the wall? You need grace. What do you need when you don't have an answer? You need grace. What is grace? It's God acting according to who He is, not who I am. What do you need when you don't have an answer for today's dilemma and tomorrow's problem? You need grace. God, give us more grace. 
We need grace over our speech, our daily conversation. You can read in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may may know how to answer each one. Let your speech always be with grace. I love that. Grace doesn't say nasty things. Okay, pull your toes under the seat. Grace doesn't gossip. Grace doesn't tell things that aren't true. Grace doesn't delight in evil. Grace doesn't uh, say bad things about your neighbor or your family member or your employer or anyone else. Grace doesn't do that. He said, let your conversation, let the words of your mouth be with grace. Ephesians 4.29, Paul said it this way, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for edification. Why? So that it may impart grace to the hearers. I like that. So that it may impart grace to the hearers. If you read that in the message, and it's not on the screen, but this is what it says, watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps because each word is a gift. So wrap your words in grace. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. Grace is God acting according to who he is, not who I am. Our relationship should be sown with grace as well. Romans chapter 5 verse 20, Paul said these words, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Oh, look, folks, you can find all kinds of reasons to get mad, upset, get your panties in a wad. You need to just stop it and let grace permeate your relationships. Because I'm here to tell you, every single one of us need grace. I already told you there's no perfect people in this room. And because of that, every single one of us need grace. So in your relationships, rather than being contentious, rather than fighting with your spouse, Rather than arguing with your children, let your relationship be sown with grace. Because when you do, it opens the door for God to step in and do what He does. When you don't, you're limited to what you can do. And I've got news for you. Through the years of ministry, there's nobody I can fix. That's an absolute truth. I can't fix anybody. But I've learned. If I can sow that relationship with grace, if I can seed it with grace, some dynamic happens in the supernatural realm that I can't see and I really don't fully understand, but somehow, some way, God comes in and reverses that relationship. When we sow it with grace, we sow it with grace. You see, when we live a life of grace, when we receive grace, when we say, God, I need more grace, Because that's what he said in James 4, 6. He gives more grace. Then it affects every relationship we have in our family, in our workplace, in our churches, and with those who don't know Jesus. Last night, matter of fact, this started about a, get that video ready please, Donna. Started about a month and a half ago. We were out at Chattahoochee painting the church there. Rodney was with us, several other guys. And Rodney said, I want to start a mentoring program for the young men in our church. We want to teach them how to be men of God. So the ushers raised over $2,000 in order to go to Walmart last night, take the young men with them, and buy groceries for people. Watch this video.
This is grace on display. That's what grace does. Darkness, you're the hope to the That's what grace does. You're the peace to the restless. no one like That's what grace does. That's what grace does. We thank you for what you have allowed us to do in your in your name, God. That's what grace does.
That's what grace does. It blows you away. Why would you do that? It astounds you. It's unbelievable. But that's what grace does. And I assure you, every one of those people who received the gift of free groceries walked out thinking, I've never seen anything like that in my life. And every one of those young men who had the opportunity to help somebody and buy their groceries walked out thinking, when are we going to do this again? Because that's what grace does. I love it. James said it. Give me more grace. Give me more grace. Will you make it your prayer today? Give me more grace. Let your grace flow through my life. Because when we show grace, we receive grace. When we give grace, we accept grace. Number two, I'm thankful for his mercy. I am thankful for his mercy. Mercy is something that gives evidence of divine favor or blessing. Mercy is being spared or rescued from judgment, harm, or danger. Psalm 4.1 says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Psalm 6.2 says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. Heal me. Psalm 9.13 says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble. You've lifted me from the gates of death. This last Tuesday, we got a call that no parent ever wants to get. It was my daughter saying, Matt, and Matt and Mindy, most of you remember them. They were here in August, and they sang Amazing Grace. Matt was in a car accident. He was on the phone with Mindy when the accident happened, and she panicked. Suddenly, he was gone. She said, I could hear him moaning, but I didn't know where he was at or what was happening or how serious the accident was. Through a series of events, she was able to find out within a very short period of time what hospital he was being transported to. Long story short, Tuesday afternoon, from a, going from a meeting downtown towards his office, Matt broadsided a semi-truck. Will you put that picture up for me, please, Donna? His Ford Explorer went under the rear wheels, just in front of the rear wheels on that semi-truck. And as a result, the truck ran over the top of his car. Put that picture back up, please. Ran over the top of his car. When the officer arrived on the scene, he told them later, I got out my stuff to investigate a fatality because no one could have lived through that wreck. He said that the entire passenger side of the, of the interior of the vehicle was utterly destroyed and pressed down. But the driver's side, where Matt was at, sustained no real damage. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. He was hurt. He had a broken vertebrae in his neck. He broke three ribs, had a blood clot they had to deal with, and that's Matt saying, thank you for praying for me. He told me last night on the phone, every time a doctor or a nurse came into my room, they said, you are so lucky. He said, no, it's not luck. That's the hand of God. God had mercy on me. Mercy. Rachel, would you come, please? We need to understand that mercy is being spared or rescued from judgment, harm, danger, or trouble. You can find it in Genesis chapter 19, where the Bible says that the angel of the Lord led Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah because the Lord had mercy on him. 
It's the law of first mention. It's the first time mercy is, is mentioned in the scripture. But you can trace it through there again and again and again where our God chooses to show mercy to his people. Rachel and her husband, Dakota, are new to our church. They've been here a few months. We love them to death. And she has a story of God's mercy. Um, on January 9th, 2014, I got a call, called me into work at the job that I was at. And they needed me to close the business for that night because the girl that was going to went home sick and no one else could do it besides me. So the last thing I remember was telling my boss that I'd go upstairs, get changed, and head into work. Um, on the course of my way to work, I was in an accident. Um, I was about four miles from my house. I did a hard jerk to the right. I flipped three times on my side, and ultimately the Jeep, the roof of my Jeep hit the tree and in the air while I was rolling, and then I landed all four against the tree. I think he has pictures. That was a year after the wreck at the junkyard that it's at. Um, as soon as the firemen arrived on scene, my dad's a local fireman too, and so they knew my Jeep, they knew my car, and they were just praying that my dad was in it because they thought it was going to be a fatality, and they didn't want to lose me, someone so young. And um, they, the fire chief immediately called my dad, and my dad and my mom arrived on scene as they watched for, I think it was about 50 to 45 minutes to cut me out of my car. Um, I was pinned up. I was on, around the tree. I was pinned up against the tree. Um, I was taken by ambulance to a helicopter that landed nearby that flew me to the local trauma center. I was um, taken into immediate surgery right away. Um, they tried to stop the bleeding on the front. They couldn't get it stopped, so they opened me up on the back. I... Long story short, I broke my back, broke my neck, torn scapula, I had a laceration on my head. Um, I had my spleen removed. I had a lot of internal problems. I like, crushed my left side. I had a tear in a lung, one lung, and a puncture in the other. Um, my recovery was remarkable. I was on the ventilator for three days, maybe. And then as soon as they took that ventilator out, they had me up and walking in some way. <laughs> After I could start remembering and coming to, I don't remember the accident, but talking to the firemen after they came and visited me, they said that in that car, there was just this little bubble that I was in. I couldn't go an inch any further or I would have been crushed. The seat, I should have bled out on scene, but the temperature was cold and God's mercy kept me from bleeding out. Um, the seatbelt, for some odd reason, gave just enough to push me forward towards my steering wheel and my dashboard. And that's what kept me from being crushed because the impact, if I would have been sitting where you regularly sit, I would have been crushed into the floorboard. But my seatbelt gave and I got to move up just a tad. Um, my legs were pinned under the dashboard. I didn't have any problems with my legs. They were just swollen. My arm was through the steering wheel, back up out the steering wheel, and stuck in a handle. But my arm was never broken. It, they were swollen. That's about it. Um, but like I said, they just told me that there was just this little perfect place for me to sit in. And there was everything around me was crushed in, caved in, but I wasn't. I was just in the 
God's protection. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. God bless you. Thank you so much. I think she can say with the psalmist, have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer. You've rescued me from the gates of hell. If you've experienced his mercy, can you just say thank you? Thank you. Thank you. Number three, I'm thankful for forgiveness today. I'm thankful that he forgives us again and again and again. Miss Lolly, if you would come, please. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, it's a principle that never changes. In order to receive forgiveness, we must extend forgiveness. So as we're moving into the holiday season of 2015, I want you to ask yourself, am I carrying a grudge? Am I harboring bitterness? Is there someone that I've refused to forgive because of what they did for me? You know, it really doesn't matter what they did. Jesus said, forgive them. I know that's hard. I know that's difficult. But that's why you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You never thought about applying it that way, did you? But He enables you to forgive those who've offended you. He enables you to show love and grace and mercy to those around you who so desperately need it. Many of you know Lolly's story, but I wanted to share it here for just a few minutes today. Well, I'm sure that if you've ever lost a child you know how difficult that is. It's one of the most difficult things you will ever have to walk through. And I've had to do that. Uh, My Anna was almost 21, two weeks away from her birthday, when a drunk driver ran a stop sign and totaled the car that she was riding in. Uh, Her neck was broken, and she died at the scene of the accident. Now, that is not what anybody wants to hear, but Don Wilkes was the pastor at Christian Heritage Church at the time. I didn't even know Don Wilkes. My husband did, and he came out to our home, and other ministers came too, but I'm telling you, there is power in prayer. He asked if we could go to a bedroom or a private place and have a prayer. So we went into the bedroom, into Anna's bedroom, and he prayed for us. While he was praying for us, God spoke to me, not audibly, but so strong into my spirit. And he said, Begin now to pray for the man who killed your daughter. You know, it wasn't hard because when God tells you something that emphatically and it's impressed on you so deeply, it's just what you do. So after Don prayed, I prayed my first prayer for the man who had Uh, was an alcoholic and who had run the stop sign and killed my precious child. 
I continued to do that. And I'm telling you, that was a very life-changing time for me. It put me in a position for God to open doors for me to be blessed. As time went on, excuse me, as time went on, uh, my husband and I began to think of adoption. Uh, Today, I have three adopted children that I would never have had. Um, They are all beautiful people. Um, I have a son that I birthed, and interestingly enough, thank you, interestingly enough, Philip, when he married, his wife is adopted. So we're all, you know, from somewhere, but God has put us together in such a mighty way, and there's so much happiness there and so many blessings I don't, uh, I always had a fear of raising one child. I just love children. And when Anna was gone, Philip, he was just an only child. Well, I want y'all to know, today I have eight children and 15 grandchildren. And I am totally overwhelmed. God can take the biggest mess in the world. I really didn't think I would ever have joy again in my life. He can take the biggest mess and make it into something truly beautiful. And I have a beautiful life. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Lolly. And it all started with praying and forgiving. Matthew chapter 18, Peter said to Jesus, if my brother offends me, how, time, how many times a day do I need to forgive him? Seven times is what the law teaches me. But Jesus said, no, Peter, not seven times. Try 70 times seven every day. Every day. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Lord, I pray now for your Holy Spirit to touch our hearts. I pray for those who need grace, I pray for those who need mercy. I pray for those who need to receive forgiveness and those who need to extend forgiveness. This day, revolutionize our lives by your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness being received and being extended. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room this morning. You're here. You say, Steve, I need forgiveness. I need God to forgive me for the way I've lived my life. I need my family to forgive me. I need friends to forgive me. I have messed things up. But like Lolly just said, it doesn't matter how big the mess. God's able. That's you right where you sit. Would you lift up your hand and say, pray for me. I need forgiveness. Yes. Anyone else? Yes. Anyone else? Yes. Others, yes, yes, yes. Others, you'll join these eight that have raised their hand. I need forgiveness. So wait just another moment. Anyone else? Yes. Hold it up there. Anyone else? That's nine. Anybody else? Everybody in this room, pray this prayer with me. 
Those of you with your hands raised, if you will pray this from your heart in faith towards Jesus Christ, as you pray, He will come and forgive you of your sins. He will change your life. Last Sunday morning, there was a man who was here for the first time. His name was Eddie. He raised his hand. He prayed that sinner's prayer and when he walked out the door. He said, Preacher, I want you to know I'm not the same guy that came in. Something's changed. So if you'll pray in faith, God's going to change you right where you sit. He's going to forgive you right where you're at. And you'll leave this place not like you came in, but you're going to leave this place a child of God. You're going to leave this place with the burdens rolled off of your life, enjoying the love and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of our Father. Right now, pray it with me across this room. Dear Jesus, pray it with me. Pray it out loud. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I cannot save myself. Forgive my sins. Change my life. Make me your child. I confess my sin to you. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer in faith to Him, He's done that right now. I want to talk to you after service. Be sure you find me when we're waiting to eat. Will you do that? And I want to encourage you and welcome you. Will you right now welcome these nine into the family of God today? Praise God. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you. Stand your feet with me across this Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com. 